0: Psalms 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired as they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Amen. You be seated. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome. Happy Father's Day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word that you have given to us. Thank you for the way you have used your word to transform our lives and shape us according to your word. God, thank you for enlightening our eyes uh, and making us wise. God, you have revived our soul. You have brought wisdom to us. You have brought strength to us when we have failed. And we're thankful for your work through your word in so many ways. Lord, bless the time we get to share in your word. God, may Our hearts and minds be receptive to your Spirit's work through your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. We live in a a time, a day, and age where there are plenty of problems, do we not? Plenty of problems around us and in us. And depending on who you ask, uh, we'll probably all point in different directions to say what some of the greatest problems are whether it be violence or media or education or environmental problems or our nation's politics or the policies of foreign nations and governments, everybody says something's going wrong. And as Christians, we're probably uh, right to kind of mourn uh, that our society is increasingly, uh, increasingly secular, less and less Christian, and we can feel that in all kinds of different ways, all kinds of social issues and struggles that are changing all around us. But uh, there is a, a generational difference today uh, that is that was diff- different from a generation or at least you know, three or four generations ago that, that I want to speak to that I think we can actually do something about. <laughs> so many of the things I, I have no, no control over uh, you know, what Russia decides to do next month. But this, this issue that I want to talk about is something I think we can personally address and that is that as Christians, we, uh, even, even as Christians, Americans in general, but as Christians in particular in America, we are increasingly biblically illiterate. And what, that, what I mean by that is, it's not that we can't read, but that we don't read the Word. Barna did a bunch of studies, uh, you know, I've done over the years, and uh, one of them a few years back quoted, this is not just, not just Christians, but Americans in general. of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 50% of high school graduating seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. 81% of those in this study who identified as born-again Christians in America thought that this was a Bible verse, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. It's a cliche, and it's not true. it's not in the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah were, were two cities destroyed by God in Genesis 19 for their sin, especially their sexual sin. And the Ten Commandments, we did this a couple years ago, so hopefully you've, all of the, you were here a couple years ago, you studied up, and I gave you a little number system. There's one God. Don't bow down to idols. Don't blaspheme. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. You can do this. You can memorize these things. We can know the Word of God, right? So it's a, it's a problem, that we can address. We can, we can be active participants in becoming less biblically illiterate, becoming more biblically literate. The, Bar- the same Barna study said that only, uh, of people who call themselves evangelical Protestant Christians, we'd fall in that, in that tradition. We, of those in America, 36% of us pick up our, Bi- our Bible daily. So that means two thirds of us are not in the word of God on a daily basis. We can fix this. In the ancient times, ancient world, they did not have printed Bibles in every home. The, the scrolls of the Old Testament were only in the temple and only read by the rabbis and different teachers of the law. That they, they was not something that everybody had access to. They probably only heard it. Many of it, the, Having a, a culture where everybody can read is a pretty new phenomenon in the spectrum of world history. We live in a day and age where where the government teaches us to read for free, right? We live in a day and age where Bibles are printed in mass. You can have access. You can have a printed copy of an English translation of the Bible, dozens and dozens of them, for pretty affordable. And almost all of us in the room have a phone in our pocket that has access to all those translations with just a couple clicks. We have more access to the Bible than any generation ever has. And yet we may be one of the most biblically illiterate generations ever. Why do we not read the Bible? We can probably all point to a handful of things. We're busy, right? We, we have a fuller, more full schedule than, than probably you know, any other generation. we got a lot of things going on. We, we could point out this is a, a pretty big book and a pretty old book, so it can be kind of hard and challenging to read at times. You could point out as a generation, just in general, we don't read all books as much. We are a less reading generation, and so the Bible is just one of the things we read less, but we read all kinds of things less. All, all that is true, but I don't think it gets to the heart of why we aren't in the Word. The heart of the root of why we're not in the Word is that we don't want to be in the Word. We make a priority out of the things that are a priority, do we not? You continue to eat Probably almost every day. (laughs) You don't forget to feed your children. You get to work more or less on time, most of the time, because you still have that job. If you didn't, you probably wouldn't, right? You continue to clothe your kids and feed your kids and get them to practices and pay the bills. If you still have electricity, it's because you remembered to pay the electrical bill. We remember and make a priority out of the things that are a priority, And yet, when it comes to the Word of God, so oftentimes it gets marginalized in our schedule. That's the end of the the guilt version of my message today. Here comes comes the positive direction of our message today. I think that if we were actually convinced of of two things, this isn't in your outline, but two things about the Word of God. If you were actually convinced about the power of God's Word and the joy of God's Word, you would be in it. And I want to spend the rest of our time today convincing you of that, of just how powerful this book is that's in front of you or in your pocket on your phone. I want to convince you how powerful it is and how this can lead to a joy greater than than any other. And if you really thought that, if you really, if you and I, and I'm putting myself in the I've told Aaron this week, I was like, I saw this coming as I was planning to preach Psalm 19 about how God's Word worked, I just knew it would be like the worst week for my own time in God's Word. It'd get interrupted. I felt it and it was, it, I predicted it out of just not a prophet, but just been doing this long enough. I knew I'd be attacked and sure enough, knowledge really enjoyed 6 to 7 a.m. being awake and needing my attention this week. But anyway, that's not the point. My point is all of us need to be in the Word of God and I think that all of us would be more in it if we knew just how powerful it was and how much joy it can bring. Psalm 19, verse 10 is where I want to start with you today. And it says about the Lord's commands, that they are more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycombs. Do you you hear that description of God's Word? Do you believe those things about God's Word. Do you believe that God's Word is more valuable than gold? Do you believe that it is sweeter than honey? My my invitation for you today, unfortunately got left off the top of your bulletin, and it's my main thing, so put it at the top of all those. My main, main thing I want you to hear from Psalm 19, 7 to 11 is this. Delight in God's good and life-changing word. Delight in God's good and life-changing word. Find joy in God's word because it is truly beautiful and can absolutely transform your life. That's what I think Psalm 19, seven to 11 is about. As always, God's message is, is aimed at your heart, not just at your, head. It's aimed at your head. It's aimed at your heart through your head, through the understanding that you would comprehend God's word But if God's word today only gets inside your head and bounces around and then comes back out and doesn't change your heart, then it missed its goal. God's goal is to get to your affections, to your desires, to the things that you treasure and value. And the Psalms, perhaps more than any other book of the Bible, are aimed at that because they are poetry. As we're looking at the Psalms this summer, you'll notice these are are written in a way that's different than just telling stories. They're full of imagery and metaphors. They're full of interesting repetitions and and different ways that it can can get you to just enjoy and delight in the words themselves. These are not written in a ho-hum kind of way, just matter of fact. It's written in a way that can get into your heart so that your heart would choose now to not just think about the Word, but delight in God's Word. Two weeks ago when we started this psalm, we read about how the heavens... "...declare the glory of God, that the sky above is proclaiming His handiwork." So we talk about the sky is preaching. The sky, the sky every day, day and night, is proclaiming God's glory. And as much as the sky is proclaiming God's glory, even more so His Word is proclaiming His glory and inviting you to delight in Him. This morning, we're going to take these these five verses. And in these five verses, I see four motivations for delighting in God's Word. So that's my main idea, delight in God's good and life-changing Word. But then I want you to see these four motivations. I'm going to start kind of at the end of our passage and then go back up to the top. And out of verse 10, I want you to see this, that His Word is better than gold or honey. His Word is better than gold or honey. Again, verse 10 more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Nobody yelled at me and radically said, you, I disagree with that, but I wonder how many of us really believe it. Really believe it. If you had the option today between having gold or having God's word, what would you really choose? How much, what if it was much gold? What would you choose? Much gold or God's word? What if you had to choose between much fine gold and God's word? Because that's what it says, that it is better than much fine gold. Which would you rather have? Perhaps your, perhaps your heart is starting to condemn you a little bit now as you kind of think about that dilemma. But I want you to hear that, again, this is not written as a guilt trip. It's meant as an offer to joy. And here, here's why I want you to see that. Think about just the value of gold. Google tells me that an ounce of gold is about $2,000. It's about worth $2,000 right now. And when I picture gold, I don't picture an ounce. I picture those little block things, you know? And, uh, and I, I learned today, or I learned this week when I was Googling those things, uh, that the, the traditional size of those things, those gold bars, is uh, about 10 inches long, about five inches thick, about three inches wide, and they weigh about 400 ounces. So at, at 2000 at two thousand dollars an ounce that's eight hundred thousand dollars one gold brick eight hundred thousand dollars now i don't know how many bricks it would take to count as much fine gold but probably more than one right three ten fifty i don't know but at eight hundred thousand dollars a brick that's a lot (laughs) think about for just a minute and be careful don't let me don't let me Draw your heart into materialism. But I'm going to offer you a better offer in just a second. But just for a second, allow your mind to consider what you would do with much fine gold. Multiple $800,000 bricks of gold. Like the house is then paid for, or buy four more of them or something, you know. The, the lake house and the beach house, you know. The, the new car, the, the, the college is paid for, all the debts are gone, Retirement. You could retire. Doesn't matter how old you are. You could retire with much fine gold. All of that could be. If, if God dropped off at your doorstep today a stack of those eight hundred thousand dollar bricks, much fine gold, you would you would weep with joy. You would be ecstatic because this this changes everything. And he just said, God has given you something better. Better than much fine gold. So here, here, this is not a guilt trip. This is an offer. This is God saying, no, no, no. I, I'm not dropping the gold off at your house today. I'm giving you something better. I'm giving you the word. I'm giving you the inspired word of God written down for you to consume and delight in day by day. He is giving you something better. Maybe money's not your thing. Maybe as I said that, you're like, eh, take it or leave it. But maybe desserts are your thing. (laughs) Maybe honey is your thing. Maybe it's some kind of sweet cake or a delicious pie right out of the oven. Or maybe it's one of Wanda's famous pound cakes that Nathan and Sarah's dog really likes. (laughs) Maybe it's uh, a favorite cheesecake or a favorite candy that's always at the grocery store checkout right when you need it not to be there, you know? Imagine a daily supply of that thing, your candy of choice, your honey of choice. Every day, God's offered you something better, even better than honey, even better than sweets. His word, His commandments, His testimony written for you to consume and delight in day by day. It would have been true. Just just listen to the, the, I love the poetry of the Bible. It's better than much fine gold, sweeter than honey. God, God could have said and does say all kinds of amazing things about his own word. But, but here the psalmist could have said, you know, th- this word that, that God has written down for us has more true information in it than encyclopedias and Wikipedia and, and all that. And, and it could have written, you know, it's, it's actually a very interesting historical book about, you know, all kinds of good, good history through all the different generations of, of kings and kings and this, all the different places, right? He could have said that. It could have been just about the information that you get from the song and from, from his word. But he doesn't just aim at your head, he's offering you joy. He's offering you delight. He's offering you satisfaction, something deep in your soul that all of our souls are longing for. He's offering you that, something better than gold and honey, sweeter than gold, sweeter than honey, more desirable than gold. He's offering you joy, something better. How, how is God's word better than gold and honey? Well, think about how both of those things, they are temporary, are they not? Despite what the Egyptians believed who buried their kings with all the gold with them, you can't take it with you. You can have as many of those gold bricks as you want and as long as they're going to last is as long as you live. 80 years, 100 years. let say you get 150 years. In the spectrum of eternity, what is that gold worth to you? Nothing. It's worth nothing. But Isaiah 40 chapter chapter 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It is eternal. It is offered to you eternally. Unlike gold or honey that pass away, God's word is eternal. The taste of honey is a delight. It's a gift from the Lord that is on your tongue for a moment. And then 30 minutes later, you can't taste it anymore. And if you want it, you got to come back again. And eventually, there's, there's only so much honey in the world, right? It is, it's, it's a limited supply. It's temporary. What happens if you, if you have much fine gold and then you spend most of it or you give all of it away? What do you have left? Nothing. What happens if you have all the honey that you could ever want, but then you give it away? What's left? Nothing. It's a scarce resource. It's a limited supply. However, with God's word, what happens when you share it with somebody? Do you lose it? No. You still got it. And in fact, as David Peck wisely pointed out to me Thursday, you know what happens when you share God's word? When you, when you take the time to, to know God's word well enough that you can tell somebody about it, you actually get more of it. You know it better. Gold, when you give, you got, if you got $100 and you give $50 away, you got $50 left. When God's word, when you give it away, you get more of it. It multiplies. The more you know God's word, the more you share it, the more you get of it. Gold or God's word? Pick God's word. It is better. God's word is is better than gold and honey. And it's an invitation to delight in your Lord, delight in God by His Word. I'll start with verse 10. It's kind of this last motivation because it speaks to your heart. But then the rest of these verses are all just compounding ways of convincing you to delight in, treasure it more than gold or honey because this is a great gift from the Lord. The second motivation I'll give you from Psalm 19 is maybe the most obvious one, but it's simply this. The Lord has spoken. Why, Why would we want to delight in God's Word? Because it's God's Word, not just man's Word. Every other book ever written is just man's Word, but this is God's inspired Word, that God's Holy Spirit moved through people throughout thousands of years to write down God's very heart. This is the Lord's Word. Maybe you should should notice the most obvious things, you know, this this is where I always start, the things that are repeated in God's Word. Notice in verses 7 through 9, those three verses, six times we read the phrase of the Lord. It says the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. Don't miss, this is from the Lord. And He is the one who has given us this Word. God Himself has spoken and he has written down for us what a gift. He didn't have to do that. But he did it so you would know we could hear from God himself. One pastor and writer, David Mathis, wrote it this way. He said, one of the greatest facts in all of history is that God gave us a book. He gave us a book. He has spoken. He has revealed himself to us through prophets and apostles and appointed. that They write down his words and that they be preserved. We have his words, we can hear in our souls the very voice of God Himself by His Spirit through His book. What a gift. What a gift. If you have a, a favorite musical artist, and they, you know a, a new album is coming out, how excited are you to, to hear the, the words, the songs of your artist? If you have a favorite actor or actress, and you hear that they're taking the lead role in a new movie, a new film will come out and you're excited to, to go and to, to see this or to, to stream it, where you get to see what, what they are doing, their, their works, and how much fun it is. Or if you're like us and your life basically revolves around chasing around the kids, you get excited when the kids are on the sports field or on the dance stage or whatever else. You, the thing you're most excited to see is when your kids are, are doing the, whatever it is they do and they're, they're, they're producing They're proclaiming, they're they're moving, they're, they're doing something, and you're excited to see them. Your Lord, He has done something, He has recorded something, He has proclaimed something, and He has written something for you to read, to take up and read. Just consider the reality that we have something far greater than any human author or band or actor or child. We have the words of the Lord Almighty. The Lord has spoken. Are we in the Word? Notice the, the progression of, of Psalm 19. Two weeks ago, when we talked about how the sky is preaching, we read in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And there, the word for God it's the general, generic word for, for God, El in Hebrew. And it's just like in, in English, it's a good, good word for God, but it could be a generic word that, that other nations and, and tribes and peoples would use to describe their God. Just like we would say the, 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 you know, the, the Muslims have God and you know, whatever else it may be. But notice when we get to verse 7, there's a switch. In your English translations, we carry this over so that we don't miss this, that God is called the Lord, but it's, it's written a little funny. You may just notice it has small capital letters. I point this out all the time. This is where our English translations carry over where the Old Testament calls God Yahweh, which is the covenantal name of God. This is the name we get from Exodus chapter 3, where God spoke to Moses and called him, redeem his people. And he said, who, who send, when I go, who do I tell him that sent me? And God said, I am who I am. Yahweh is built on that that simple phrase, I am. And it's a declaration that this is not just any God you want him to be. This is the one true God who's the creator over all the universe, who has redeemed his people and brought his people into a covenantal relationship with himself. He has made a promise to his people and He has kept His promises over and over again. For God to be called the Lord here is isn't saying this is the one who has spoken and has built a relationship with His people. Yes, God is the creator of the skies and He's also the creator of the covenant so you can be in relationship with Him. The skies proclaim a lot of glorious things about God. They display and they proclaim His glory, His majesty, His power, and His generosity. But were we left with the skies alone, it'd be very hard for us to comprehend how God can be three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is hard to gather from a sunset. But when we open God's Word, we can understand more of who He is. It's hard to hear the history of redemption and God's work to make a promise and keep it and deliver over and over again, it's hard to hear that just from looking at the mountains, but God has given us His word, so we know His testimony, we know His story, we know what He has taught us. It's hard to understand substitutionary atonement from looking at a lake, but from understanding God's word, we can see how Christ died in our place to take on the the, the wrath we deserved, and for us to be forgiven because He died in our place. The Lord has spoken through creation and He has spoken through His Word. Praise God, we get both and not just one. He is not just God, He is Lord. He is Yahweh. The sky is preaching and His Word is proclaiming even greater, even more clearly, the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and He has spoken so that we might know Him in relationship He is our covenantal Lord, the Lord. He is the one who has spoken. I pointed out the six-fold repetition in 7 to 9 of, of the Lord. Notice also these same phrases use different words to describe God's word. It is the law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, and rules. All different ways of describing this, what we call the Bible. His commands, His laws, His regulations, they're about how the world ought to function. His decrees that say this is the way the world should work." and his testimony is the story telling us about how he has brought this, about how he has redeemed his people. And in those same six phrases, we get a, each of them, we get a description of God's word. His word is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true and righteous all together. Looking at those descriptions, it's another invitation. That this isn't just information in your head, it's something God wants to come deep into your heart and change what you enjoy, what you delight in. And so the third motivation we see in Psalm 19 about His Word is that His Word is good. His Word is good. It's pure, righteous, clean altogether. There's a a holiness about God's Word. We're called to see God's Word with a certain reverence and awe. Do you approach God's word as just one more thing written? Or do you see that since it is the Lord who has spoken, there is a, a majesty to this word. That this is God's word given to us. It is pure and good. It is refined gold. It is a diamond without imperfections. It is noble. It is honorable. It is just. And it is fair. C.S. Lewis has a great little book on the Psalms, simply called Reflections on the Psalms. And and Psalm 19 is one of his absolute favorites of the Psalms. So he writes a lot about it. And he comments here about this description of the law being, of God's word being good. And says it's not like some some, uh, ancient, or not ancient, but 18th century theologians. The way they described God is they said, you know, God God, um, did not command certain things because they were right but certain things are right because God commanded them. That's what they thought, which isn't true. Do you follow that, that distinction? To make their point, he says, one of them even said that God has commanded us to love Him and love one another, but He could have equally have commanded us to hate Him and hate one another, and then that would have been right because God said it. But C.S. Lewis says, no, no, no that's, that's not how it goes. That's not how God created the world. That's not how this is. It's not how it functions. What's good and right and just uh, is, is not, it's not just, just because God wrote it that way, right? C.S. Lewis says, God enjoins or invites us to what is good because it is good and because He is good. Hence, His laws have truth, have an intrinsic validity, a rock-bottom reality being rooted in His own nature and therefore as solid as the nature in which He is created. He says their delight in the law, when, he, when God invites us, to delight in the law as good, it's, it's like having touched something that is firm, something that is real, something that is rock solid beneath your feet. He says, it's like a pedestrian's delight in the feeling of having hard road beneath their feet after they took a false shortcut that entangled them in muddy fields. Isn't that a good picture? When we live through this life acting like we can make up our own rules, eventually our shoes get kind of soggy. Because we're dragging through the mud and the muck of the world and we're trying to make it on our own way. But when we come to God's word and obey God's commands and live His way, it's like we knock our shoes off and we finally stand on something that is solid, something that is good. God has created the world and the very fabric of the universe to where we see there, there is truth. There is righteousness. There is justice. And God's word is where we find out what that is. And when we stand on the word, we're standing on something solid, something we can count on. You, you know that when God says, thou shalt not steal, that's a, that's a good thing, right? You, you can sense how a society where everything gets stolen all the time would not be a good place. So it is with adultery or coveting or anything else. Eventually, we all come to places in God's word where we don't so quickly agree. And yet we submit to God's Word and we say He is the author of what is good and just. And so to stand on His promises, not my desires, is the rock beneath my feet. God's Word is good. It is right. It is pure. It is honorable. It is noble. It is just. One last motivation from, to, to, to convince us to delight in God's Word might be the climactic one for us. It comes from that same six-fold repetition of God's word in seven, verses seven to nine. But it's on in all, in all those verses, I want you to notice the action of what it does, especially what it does to us. Listen to the second half of each of those phrases and how they describe what God's word does. And as you listen, I want you to ask yourself, are these things that my heart desires? God's word is reviving the soul, making wise, the simple, rejoicing the heart and enlightening the eyes. Don't we all desire those things? Our final motivation to convince us to delight in God's word is that life change happens here. Delight in God's good and life-changing word because it is His word that transforms your life. If you are looking anywhere else, then God Himself, through His Word, to transform you, you will not find it. The power and the truth and the joy of God's Word and God's Word alone is what changes you when His Spirit comes inside of you according to the truth of Scripture. If you are changed by something other than the truth of Scripture, you're being changed and conformed to something else other than truth. Only the truth of God's word can change you and transform you. It's what revives you, makes wise, rejoices, and enlightens you. This is where we are dependent. This is what we need to be transformed. Uh, Is not our whole life essentially one long quest for transformation? Aren't we all seeking to grow, to be better, to get better? There may be ways that self-help books or good coaches or something else may be able to tweak certain habits or give you certain, certain new rhythms that make things marginally better for some short amount of time. And may, they may be significant, I don't wanna discount that. But the eternal changes we're all looking for, what really matters in the spectrum of eternity, there's one place for that, it's in God's word. Wherever else you may be looking for new life, for reviving, for a, a, a soul transformation, for going from death to life, if you're looking anywhere else other than God's Word, you're not going to find it. Only God's Word can bring a reviving of the soul. Let us not forsake His Word if we're looking for that kind of revival. We all, who among us has not felt dull or simple or foolish as we try to take on tasks and responsibilities? It's Father's Day. Goodness. If, not, if anything has made me feel foolish, it's trying to be a dad, right? Wow, do we feel foolish. What makes us wise, God's Word says, God's Word does. It's what makes us wise, makes wise the simple. Man, do I feel simple, simple simple-minded all the time. Come to God's Word. We're often downcast, disappointed, discouraged, ho-hum, melancholy. We long for our hearts to be made glad. And sometimes just a a stroll outside helps, and sometimes a a good talk with a, a friend or We may just be distracted. That can help to some degree or another. But in the long term, where, where do we find a rejoicing of the heart? It's when God speaks through His Word by His Spirit and changes us, transforms us. Our eyes might not always see the truth. There are times when we feel kind of lost in the dark and we're searching and we're kind of through the clouds of culture and the lies and bad influences. Where are we going to find an enlightening of the eyes? God's Word It's where our eyes are opened to the truth and to what is real. These changes are not not small tweaks to our lives. They are transformational. They are taking us from death to life, going from darkness to light. These are life changes. God's Word, I hope you see, has power that leads to joy. It's power because it is God Himself who has spoken and recorded through an incredible incredible act of God's providence, so that you and I could have it even given to us in our own language. And it is a place, it is a, is a, a tool God uses in His Spirit not to just beat you into submission, obedient as some slave, but to draw you into a relationship. This is the covenantal God. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh who has made promises to His people he is adopting, adopting us into His family so that we can have joy. Delight in God through His Word and see how it transforms you. The progression of this psalm is from creation to this covenant through His Word, through this Lord who has built a covenant with us. And it points forward to another progression God's revelation which is the sending of his son Christ not always good alliteration but I like this one creation covenant pointing forward to Christ it's how we are changed it's a it's a hint here this reviving of the soul is a hint of what God would later do in the New Testament in sending Christ who then through his death resurrection and ascension would then send his Holy Spirit and even the Old Testament prophesied of those days. He said, Ezekiel 36: I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And how do you know? How do you know that flesh is there? How do you know your heart's been changed by God? Ezekiel 36:27. And my spirit, I, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The only way you and I are going to be obedient to Psalm 19 and the rest of God's Word is if God's Spirit is inside of us. And the only way that happens is if we've repented of our sins and believed in Christ for our salvation. And when that happens, He transforms you. He changes you. He changes your very desires, the things that you love, the things that you delight in. And He gives you a desire to follow Him in obedience. Jesus told His disciples the night before He was crucified, when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all truth. The way you know the truth is that God's Spirit, who is the messenger that God Himself given to us, tells us what Jesus said. That's the reviving of our soul so that we could be with Him. Don't be biblically illiterate. Be in the Word. Be transformed by it. And I'll tell you, in all my years of trying to read the Word, and all my years of trying to help other people read the Word, we just, we just wake up certain days and we say, I just don't want to. I know I should want to, but I don't want to. Anybody know that feeling? I heard a message from Habakkuk chapter 2 that I want to close with today. This verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk is wrestling with God. He's upset. Bad things are happening. And he needs to hear from God. And this is what Habakkuk decides to do. Habakkuk 2.1 says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. Habakkuk was waiting. God, why have you not answered me? And you know what Habakkuk said? I'm going to go to the watchtower. You know what the watchtower is? In an ancient city. It had been the high up place where you could see where enemies are coming. Or, or messengers, or anybody else. It's where you could keep a lookout. And if you serve in the military, if you, if, you get a, if you get a job, your job is to be at the watchtower, you know what you better do? You better be at the watchtower. You don't just give it up. You don't just go AWOL when you want to. Habakkuk says, I, I'm going to my, to my stand. I'm going to the watchpost. I'm going to look out and just, I'm going to wait for God to speak. I'm going to wait for God to speak there is a watchtower with a seat with your name on it tomorrow morning and it is begging you to come and to keep lookout and you know what sometimes when you go and you go to the watchtower you see nothing you hear nothing you read and you read and nothing happens and you know what you do you wake up the next day and you come to the watchtower and you read and you wait and you say, I'm going to plant myself here until you speak, God. And you know what happens? Maybe not the first day, maybe not the second day, maybe not for a while, but God is faithful and He loves His children and He loves to speak. Put yourself on the watchtower. Cling to the watchtower and wait for God to speak. Look out. And listen, and as you do, there's a transformation that happens because God sends His Spirit and He changes not just your mind, but your affections and you begin to delight in God's good and life-changing Word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess we have had this book our entire Lives and we should be so consumed by it that we just bleed your word when we are pricked. God, we, we should be so overflowing with this word that it, it, it's almost every sentence we speak, we have no, no excuse. And yet we come today confessing we are not that. We long, God, to know you better through your word, God, we see the gift that it is. And so we plead for forgiveness. We plead that you would change us. You would would not hold our past against us, but you would invite us once again to the watchtower to listen for you to speak. God, we, we cling that your word is perfect. It revives our souls. God, we know that it is sure and it makes us wise. God, we We celebrate that your precepts are right and they they rejoice our hearts. God, our eyes so much, we desire for our eyes to see light and not just darkness and your word is that. God, we, we confess. We want to desire your word more than gold. And yet we chase after other things. So God, transform us by your spirit. Change us and draw us to your word. May we be people of the book servants of your word. And may we live in obedience to you in a joyful, joyful relationship with our heavenly Father. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.